All right, and good morning to you. We are glad you are here today at Dorisville. Great crowd, and yes, we enjoyed the Christmas worship, and uh, very much so. But like I said, I, told, I just told Trey, Trey said, well, what do you think? I said, you know, we might need to add a couple worship songs in there. As much as we love the Christmas songs, some of those worship songs we sing are so powerful. But we are glad that you are here today, and we are beginning our new Christmas series. It's going to go now until Christmas Eve, um, and it's entitled C4 Explosive joy. And the idea is, you know, I wish I could explain to you sometimes where these ideas come from. I, ultimately, I hope they come from the Lord. Uh, but I was building this series, you know, and I had something totally different in mind. Um, and then I knew, though, I knew that God wanted me to talk about um, the whole picture of Christmas. It's awful easy to sell, at Christmas to celebrate just the cradle, just the babe. Um, but we know, of course, that, that it went so much further than that. You know, you know, he grew to be a man. He died on a cross, and he was resurrected on the third day. And so, you know, being a preacher, I knew those were four C's, you know. And so I said, oh. And then I thought about C4. Now, a lot of y'all say, well, what is C4? Well, actually, C4, and this might be my military background. I don't know. Um, but C4 is an explosive that they use. They sometimes call it plastic explosive. Very powerful. And they use it to blow up bridges and things like that. And then I, I saw the C4 idea, and that popped in my brain. Explosive joy. Explosive joy. And that's what Christmas should all about, be all about. But it's so much bigger than just a baby. We have, yes, we have the cradle, and, and that's when God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we celebrate that. But then Jesus grew up, and, and yes, that is the word crook, and the crook is the, the bend and the shepherd's staff. So in that week number two, we're going to talk about shepherds. How, in fact, the second message in this series is already titled and actually built and, and, and crafted, and it talks about, you know, that Christmas, the shepherd's story. The shepherd's story. Because even in prophecy and in the, the birth of Jesus and then finally in his life, the, the story of the shepherd is all through that. So we're going to look at the crook in the life of Jesus in week two. Then in week three, we're going to talk about the cross. Without the cross, you know, again, you know, the cradle, you know, the cross of the shadow is all over the cradle. And so we're going to talk about the cross of the Lord Jesus. And finally, on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the crown, the fact that he is the king, the coming king, born to be um, a king. So I'm looking forward to spending these weeks with you. And I really hope as we look at this, we'll get the bigger picture of what Christmas is all about. And speaking of that, it leads right into our starting point. All right. You know, the joy of Christmas. Hmm. Think about that. The joy of Christmas is not in the presence, but in his presence. Now, that's cute. And I actually, that was not original to me. It wasn't credited to anybody, but I saw that. I said, that's, that's real nice. You know, but, but we preachers like to work in threes. That's how you know the sermon's almost over. You know, we do three things, you know. Uh, well, this works in three. So this morning, actually, early this morning, I was thinking about the present. So we got the present, we got the presence. Uh, presence, and then we got the presence. Ah, three Ps. That works really well. And here's, I mean, God just took this and, no pun intended, exploded uh, in the message. It became a major part of the message. And that is this. Too often, too often, you know, Jesus, you know, this Christmas, the birth of Jesus is just that. It's just the birth of Jesus, and it becomes a season. And when you think about the present, I'm, you know, if you ask Walmart, it starts back in September. Target may do it in October, you know. But for a lot of us, December 1st is kind of like the beginning of the Christmas season, and, and we kick it off. But the problem is this. Christmas is so much 
bigger than a season. Christmas is so much bigger than a season. We do that because we talk of the present, but the story of Christmas is huge. In fact, you know, I, I had it kind of tagged in, in the title of the sermon, you know, uh, Christmas, God's brightest idea. It was planned before the foundations of the world was laid. I mean, this Christmas story is huge. As far back as you can go that way with God, there's a Christmas story. As far as you far forward you can go in the future, it's the Christmas story. And, of course, it's the Christmas story um, right now. So I want you to see right off the bat today this important truth. This is worth writing down. There's your warning, okay? Christmas is more than a season. It is a lifestyle. Christmas is more than a season. It is a lifestyle. You know, we need to learn that what we do at Christmas is intentionally designed so that bleeds over to every Christ follower that we live Christmas out over and over and over um, again. Now, we go back to our teaching point. The joy of Christmas is not in the presence then, in the present, okay? It's more than just, just a thing we do a certain time of the year. In fact, you know, Judy, is, you know, things happen in strange ways. I was sitting there studying, you know, um, this morning, and my iPad sitting down here by the, my chair, and all of a sudden it goes, ding. Well, usually the only person that texts you know, text me early in the morning like that would be Judy. And it usually means she found something. Well, she did. So I looked down like this, you know, kind of leaning over my chair, and there I saw something about Christmas and lifestyle, or Christmas and more than a season. I said, hmm, I better check that because that just might fit the message. And it was like, you know, God gave it to her to give to me to share with you today. Because, again, don't we do that? Don't we treat people a little bit differently at Christmas, a little nicer? Aren't we tending to be just a little bit more generous at the Christmas season? And the author uh, that wrote this really understands the, the importance of sharing Christmas beyond this season. Um, Harlan Miller wrote these. said, I wish we could put some of the Christmas spirit in jars and open a jar of it every month. Think about that. Isn't that right? Wouldn't it be cool if, if all of a sudden we were generous like we are at Christmas, we were generous in March? Wouldn't it be cool that along about August when it's hot and dry, we were just a little kind, a person cuts us off in traffic, and rather than blowing up, we just are more understanding? Yeah. yeah. Well, here's what the guy wrote. Um, at Christmas, we're usually just a little softer than we are the rest of the year. That is true. We smile a little more, we laugh a little more, and we show kindness a little more. <laughs> we let people come into our lane on the highway. We drop some money in a bucket outside of a store, and we say nice things to people that may tend to annoy us because, well, guess what? It's Christmas. But once December 25th has come and gone, once Christmas Day is in the rearview mirror, we pack up the decorations and the gifts and tuck them away with the Christmas spirit. The kindness, the joy, the forgiveness, the patience is tucked away and put in a box. You know, the Christmas spirit that led us to be a little more patient, give a little more money and speak a little kindly, suddenly disappears. So I want to propose to you today, biblically, that Christmas is not to be a season. It is to be truly a lifestyle, a lifestyle. Let's move on down. The joy of Christmas is not in the presence. Oh, presence. I love presence. One of my love languages is presence. You know, I like when Judy, she'll, she'll surprise me and give me a gift. 
I love that. And we all love presents at Christmas, don't we? We love, you know, Christmas morning, we open the boxes, or Christmas Eve, whenever your family does it. And, you know, and we love the presents. But look at that last part. The joy of Christmas is not in the present or the presents, but in his presence. See, what Christmas is all about is the presence of Christ. Literally, you know, he came to earth born that day, but Christmas is about the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only through a month in December, but every single day. In fact, you might say this, you know, everybody has this little cute coin saying, you know, that Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, may I propose to you today, Jesus is not only the reason for the season, he's a reason for every day, every day. You know, he, he, he's the reason for next Tuesday. He, he's the reason for, for January the 23rd. And, you know, and we really, we, <laughs> we really get upset you know, when we see him we look around and say, where's Jesus? I don't see Jesus in this anywhere. You know, we kind of fired up. You know what should fire us up more? Is that we don't see Jesus as the reason of the season for next Tuesday. That once we get done on Sunday, we can go out and tend to live like Jesus has got lost somewhere. We should not only be fired up that Jesus seems to be omitted by, from Christmas, we need to get fired up at the fact that Jesus is not evident in our lives, in every church, in every Christ follower. Jesus should be evident. So the joy of Christmas is not in the presence, but in his presence, Isaiah shouts it. For unto us a child is born, and what a child he is. And unto us a son is given, and what a son he is. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And do you, do you get that? Not just a counselor. Some of us go to counseling. You know, not just a counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. And those tough decisions we need to make, when we really don't know what's going to go on in our lives, we got someone we can go to is so wise. He's a wonderful counselor. And not only that, he's a mighty God. Not just God, he's a mighty God. Which is really encouraging because it tells us that no matter what we're going to face this year, God's bigger. No matter what we're going to face this year, God is bigger. Oh, oh, and he's the everlasting father. Like I said about Christmas, you know, go back as far as you can this way. And he was there. Go as far as you can this way, and he is there. He is the everlasting father. And the big one, the prince of peace. Not just a prince, but the prince of peace. Think about that. Can we just pause? How many of us just crave peace? It might be the checkbook. It might be your calendar. It might be your parents or your kids. It might be what's going on in your marriage. It might be what's going on at work. It might be what's going on in the world. But it's the world's, everything's just crazy. And we crave peace. And guess where we find it? We find it from the Prince of Peace. So today, we want to look at this story bigger than the cradle. We want to look at the story as told by the tax collector. You remember last year, last week we talked about the tax collector, the most hated guy in town. He's the guy that was at his tax booth, you know, and Jesus walks up and says, hey, follow me. He does that and Peter has a heart attack. We don't want this guy in our group. But he joins up. And, and you almost, you have to wonder, did God know exactly what, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Because if you watch The Chosen, now again, you really need to take The Chosen. I don't watch a lot of it, I've got to be honest with you. But I do watch some of them. And you need to take The Chosen as a story. 
I know it doesn't follow the biblical you know, outline exactly, but just look at it as a story. And they did such a wonderful job because, truth be known, some of the most detail-oriented people are accountants. And trust me, Mr. Tax Collector Matthew, the hated guy who collected the taxes, he was a details person. And in the movie The Chosen, you see him writing his gospel. He's writing down these things, that, that, and then all of a sudden it appears in the Bible. Well, here we have Matthew, and he gives us a whole different perspective of the Christmas story. Dr. Luke takes it one way and really tells it from the story of Mary. And, and then we see Matthew really, and in fact, I didn't realize this until I preached the message in first service, just how much it's about Joseph, how much it's about Joseph. So Matthew, the detail person, comes along in verse number uh, 18, the first part, and says this. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. Very analytical. Okay, I want you to know exactly um, how this happened. It's so cool how God arranged to make sure there was a detailed person on the squad to record what's about to take place. And here's the deal. You know, it's been, remember the Lord's Supper? Y'all, well, I guess you probably do remember the Lord's Supper, don't you? Yeah. Um, well, anyway, the Lord's Supper, you know, God, you know, Jesus gave that to us on Thursday night before he died on Friday. And remember the key phrases? Do you remember when he gave the bread out, the bread out, you know, and he said, oh, do this in remembrance of me. And then he comes along with a glass of, of wine, you know, and this symbolizes my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. It's like, we know Jesus gave this to us that we might remember. Well, I'm wondering if maybe God got Matthew on board so we can remember, because it's so easy to lose Jesus. We lose Jesus in worship. You know, we sit there too often, too often. You know, you know worship is all about the style of music. You know, whether it's, whether it's this style or that style, doesn't matter. It all becomes stylistic. No, worship's not about style. Either way, worship is about Jesus. It's easy to lose him. Yeah, it's easy to lose Jesus in preaching. You know, so today one of the big driving points is you know, how to be incredibly with detail about the theology of the Bible. And theology is so important, but we get so wrapped up in theology we lose Jesus. We lose Jesus in church. And we certainly lose Jesus in Christmas. So Matthew comes along as well. I want you to know this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came along. You know, I like what C.S. Lewis said. Yeah, he was a great theologian, agnist, you know, atheist for a long time, and then he met Jesus and radically changed his life. But look what he says. I believe in Christ. Now, if you'll see, I've got brackets there. He had the word Christianity there. I like Christ better, so he's dead. He won't know anyway. But I believe in Christ as I believe that the sun has risen, okay? Here's what he means. Not only because I see it, you know, when the sun comes up, we see the big ball, okay? But what, when the ball comes up, what all of a sudden happens too? Darkness leads away, and we can see everything else. And so he's saying, I believe in Christ. I said, I believe in Christ as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I love the clarity that Jesus brings into my world. In, in a time when things just don't make sense, I love the clarity. Religion doesn't do that for me. Okay, but the clarity that Jesus Christ brings into my world. I believe him. I see him. 
but he brings such clarity into my world. Well, after Matthew says this is how the birth of Jesus came about, in the second part of that verse, he gives us a little setup. And this is pretty big. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, y'all, there are definitely people in this room know a whole lot more about Jewish marriage than I do, but I know a little bit. And it goes something like this, okay? About a year out, okay, a couple will become betrothed, betrothed. Now, to say they're engaged would not be accurate. Betrothed is a stronger term. It's kind of like being engaged on steroids, okay? In fact, in fact, to be betrothed, is like being married with two exceptions. Number one, you didn't live together. And two, you didn't have a physical relationship. But other than that, the legality of the betrothed was as serious and as binding as marriage. So, so his mother Mary was pledged, betrothed, to be married to Joseph. All right? That's great. But then we've got this. But before they came together... Before the marriage became final, before she moved in, and before there was any physical relationship, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Whoa. There's a word for that. It's called scandal. Scandal. Have you heard about Mary? Yeah. You know, remember, she's, she's betrothed to Joseph. And guess what she's expecting? Wow, this is, this is huge, okay? The world on the street is there's a scandal going on, and it involves this girl named Mary. Now, now only, this can only mean two things. Now, listen carefully what I'm about to say. It means one of two things. Number one, Mary was an adulteress. In other words, she was not faithful to Joseph. She's been with somebody else. Huge scandal. Or part two is they together have sinned. Because the marriage is not final, okay? They should not be together physically, or they've come together. Both were wrong. Both were wrong. But on the word of the street, on the street was scandal. The word down at the market was scandal. The word in her house, I'm sure, was scandal. Everywhere it looked, it looked like something. Ooh, this is good. It looked like something. It was not. Have you heard about Mary? Have you heard about Joseph? So Matthew gives us the insight we need. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Whoa, that's a game changer. Okay, for us Jesus people, that's a game changer. All of a sudden, it's not Mary being unfaithful. Oh, it's not Mary and Joseph being sinful in the relationship. It is God doing something big. And that something big is the virgin birth of his son. See, the virgin birth is one of those things that's just hugely, hugely important. Go ahead, Nancy, and throw that slide out. I teach slide. You know, see, people say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about the virgin birth? Everything, everything. Without the virgin birth, Jesus becomes like every other man, and he becomes incapable of being the Savior of the world. Without the virgin of birth, he's just another guy. Hey, without the virgin birth, he's Joe down the street who happened to marry a girl named Mary. 
See, there's something, there's some doctrines that really are, are minor doctrines we can disagree on. This is not one of them. This is not one of them. As a believer in Jesus Christ, and I don't care what denomination you claim, but if you claim to be a, 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 a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have got to believe in the virgin birth. It is essential. It's as essential as the resurrection. The resurrection, Dwayne, I thought that was Easter. Yeah, it is. Christmas and Easter. Isn't that amazing? You know, there was some teaching back in the 80s in our seminaries, in Southern Baptist seminaries, of professors who did not believe in the virgin birth. The real problem. Well, there's the problem in the Corinthian church. The church at Corinth had people come in and they say, oh, oh, listen, yeah, well, we kind of believe in the resurrection of Jesus, kind of. We just don't believe it's a physical resurrection. We believe it's a spiritual resurrection. His body didn't get resurrected, just his spirit. Big problem. So Paul addresses this in that famous 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here's what he says. In verse number 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If, if Christ is not risen from the dead, he's just another criminal who died on a, a terrible way on a cross. There's no proof he was the Son of God. Our message is useless. And so is your faith. Case closed. Let's go home and have fried chicken. But Paul went on to say that Jesus did resurrect. The resurrection of Jesus is a non-negotiable, just like the virgin birth of Jesus is a non-negotiable. You got to nail it down. And your friends at work say, how can you believe that stuff? Or, or the kids at school say, how can you believe that stuff? Man, you nail your, you nail your heart on that one. Jesus Christ did not have an earthly father. He had an earthly mother and a heavenly father. And as, as Matthew said, through the Holy Spirit. So it's so important we, we understand that Jesus Christ was virgin born. And then, and then we've got the other resurrection scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied above all men. He said the resurrection is not real then we should just be pitied. And if the virgin birth is not real, we are to be pitied because we are believing a lie. But I want to look at you, I want to point my finger at you and tell you that Jesus Christ was virgin born. That when Jesus was born, Mary was a virgin. And his father was the Holy Father and she was the mother. And it made him, look at her, look at her, it made him like no one else. He must be the one and only God-man. God-man, fully God and yet fully man. That's what makes Jesus the one and only. That's what makes Jesus different above all. Hugely important. Don't blow this one off. Don't blow this one off. This thing is so important that we know and we believe that. Well, in verse number 19, the Bible says, well, because Jesus her husband was a righteous man. You know, it's, it's really Joseph doesn't get a lot of press. And again, my message, my intention today was not to make this really about Joseph. But the more I studied it, the more it became that way. You know, how many of y'all would agree that, that, God, that God was very careful in choosing Mary? Would you say amen? Yeah, yeah, he, he, did, he was. He was just as careful in choosing Joseph. 
It was important he chose the right mother. It was important he chose the right earthly father. And here's why. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Joseph was a man who tried to do the right thing. And so, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And so, Mary's pregnant. He is not involved in this. Joseph is not involved in this. So, he had the right then to publicly disgrace her. He had the right to go down to the temple and say, Mary has been unfaithful to me. I charge her with adultery. But he did not choose, did not want to do that. It really could have changed the Christmas story. <laughs> Y'all remember John chapter 8? You know, remember the teachers were, were messing with adult Jesus? So they go and they find a woman guilty of adultery, and they drag her down in front of Jesus in the crowd and throw her down. And the, the people from the church say, Hey, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. Now, Moses says that she's to be stoned to death. What do you say? Do you understand that if it wasn't for Joseph being a righteous man and not wanting to expose her, disgracefully, publicly disgrace her, that that could be her story? That it could have been Mary that was dragged down in front of a crowd and stoned? It was all oh, it was so good. It's, oh, it's the balls in Jesus, I'm sorry, in the, the balls in Joseph's court. He could have demanded his rights. She's been unfaithful. Drag her down. Have her stoned. But he didn't. He was a righteous man. He didn't want her to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. It was his option. He could have demanded justice publicly in a trial. Or he could just simply lay it aside. And that's what he chose to do. See the beauty, the beauty of Joseph? See, the whole Christmas story is full of people doing the right thing. You know, if you look at you know, our next teaching point there, you know, the story of Christmas is sprinkled with quiet heroes of faith. There was a 16-year-old virgin girl who said yes to God. There's a carpenter who said yes to God. There were a bunch of shepherds on a hillside, and they said yes to God. And there were even three wise men. Well, we don't have any that were. We say three. You know, some wise men who, who saw the Christmas star, and it probably took them two years to get there, to travel to find this new king. Two years. And you know what? They were just being obedient. God somehow pulled them in that direction. The Christmas story is filled with ordinary people that trusted an extraordinary God. Oh, wait. We have the same opportunity, don't we? When people pull out in traffic, when people aren't kind, when people need our forgiveness but we choose to withhold it or have the opportunity to withhold it, you know, or, or when we've been wrong and so we have the right to stand up and embarrass them. Or we can be like Jesus and simply trust God. That's what Joseph did. He simply trusted God. Well, 
In verse number 20, the story continues. After he considered this, so he's saying, you know what? The right thing to do. There's no sense embarrassing her. Certainly don't want to put her life in danger. I love her too much. Um, I, I think we'll just do the quiet divorce thing. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. You know that? Isn't that crazy? Guess what the angel said to Mary? Do not be afraid. And what did the angel say to the shepherds? What did, G, what did the angel say to Joseph? See, the big, one of the big messages of Christmas, you don't have to be afraid. Look at me. You don't have to be afraid. There's war in the Middle East. There's war here. There's war there. The economy's crazy. You don't have to be afraid because your God is greater than whatever it is you're facing. You don't have to be afraid. God is not, 2 Timothy 1, 7, God's not giving us a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Amazing. Well, don't be afraid to take Mary, where? Home. What's the next step in the marriage process? Home. Don't be afraid to take her home. Don't be afraid to go ahead and complete the deal. Go ahead, bring her home as your wife. Doesn't matter what, doesn't matter what culture's saying. Doesn't matter what the temple police are going to say. Doesn't even matter what the families are saying. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Don't be afraid to take her home to be your wife. Because here's the inside scoop, Joseph. It's not a scandal. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Hey, Joseph, what's happening here is not sinful. It's sinless. What happens here is not horrible. It is holy. Now, here's the deal. Joseph has to continue to decide which way is he going to go. Don't be afraid to take her home. Because listen, this baby is of the Holy Spirit. And listen to this, Joseph, it gets, it gets even, even bigger. Look at verse number 21. Um, she, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God is our Savior. You shall give his name Jesus because why? He will save his people from their sins. This is big. See, this is why the cradle is so important, but it's in the shadow of this. Because Jesus wasn't born just to be a baby. He was born to be the Savior of the world. He's going to save his people. How is he going to save the people? He's going to die on a Roman cross for them. The the cradle exists in the shadow of the cross. The cradle exists in the shadow of the cross. He will save his people. From their sins. Verse 22 and 23. All this took place. Matthew says now. All this took place to fulfill. Our brother talked about prophecy today in the the Advent story. You know, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin. Who? Who? The virgin. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him, say it with me, Emmanuel. 
which means God with us. The greatest wonder of Christmas is that God left heaven, God the Son left heaven, and comes and straps on the body of a little baby. He lives a holy, sinless life, dies on Roman cross, and then rises again and defeats death forever. His name shall be called Emmanuel. And we need to be grateful for all those heroes of Christmas. A virgin who said yes. A carpenter who said yes. Some shepherds who said yes. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because God is bigger than whatever you're going to face. I really like the, the last verse in this. It's, it's, it's verse number 24 and 25. I didn't get this on the screen, but it says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, you know, after the dream, Jesus being aroused, um, Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He obeyed and took him, took her to be his wife. How about that? And watch this. I, I think it's great. He did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, Jesus. He laid aside his rightful place as husband now, lays that aside until after Jesus is born. He wanted no doubt and no shadow that this baby was like no other. This baby was born of a virgin. And God arranged all of that. Remember this first verse? Well, the birth of Jesus was on this wise. And it started way back. It started before the foundation of the world. But on earth, it started in Genesis chapter 3 when God made the promise that a Redeemer would come and continued through the decades and through the millennia. And the message remains the same. For God so loved the world that He gave. That He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have. Everlasting life. Have you received the Christmas message? Have you received the Christmas hope? Have you received the Christmas promise? God loves you so much. And today, He invites you to His family. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And today, if you say, well, okay, do I heard a lot about Jesus? And I understand a little bit about it. I would like to know more. Why don't you come down and take Brent by the, by the hand and say, Brother Brent, I want to know more about how I can have forgiveness of my sins how Jesus can be my Savior, how I can receive the greatest Christmas gift ever. And the altar is going to be open. Perhaps you want to come and pray for someone who's never made that decision or that commitment. Or maybe there's some other decision that you want to make. You know, I know a couple of our families are talking about joining our church. If you'd like to, to come forward this morning when Brent gets down there, that would be a great time to do that. Whatever we can do today, you know, this is God's time for us to act on what we've heard. The birth of Jesus was on this wise. Let's pray. You know, Father, I'm just amazed today. The detail that you put in place so that we could have redemption. I'm glad you called Matthew, the detail man, to give us details that we don't find in Luke. We only find here. It tells us the story of a young virgin girl who's obedient, to a carpenter who's obedient, a man with a good heart like your heart, who resisted public pressure 
and chose to protect Mary. Thank you for that. So would you have your way in, in our invitation time this morning? And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.